You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Oh, so good to see you all. Obviously, some people didn't spring forward. Right. They might be coming in in an hour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, is everyone feeling a little groggy this morning? Or are you guys doing good? Good. We, we started a new tradition. At nine o'clock, we forward our clocks ahead so that we're ready to go in the frame, uh, framework of what's coming in the morning with toddlers. Anyone have kids know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Pastor Daniel. <laughs> oh, well, it's so good. Uh, to be here with you today. My name's Phil Nelson. For those of you who are visiting, if you are visiting, you are our honored guest and we view you that way. And uh, we don't put pressure on you for anything other than to be yourself. God loves you just how you are, just where you are. And that is the truth. And the church sometimes gets that mixed up. But God wants you to meet him right where you're at. Then when you meet him, let God have his way. He will rock your world. And so we are so excited that you've gathered here today and the benediction, one of our other pastors, uh, Pastor Daniel will will, uh, just give you a little bit of information of how you can get a free gift um, and also how you can get connected here. And so we have been in the series called James. We're literally going through the five chapters of the book of James in the New Testament, which follows Hebrews. And it's before first and second Peter. That's the book of James. And so I just want to give a rough recap of what we've gone through since this is the fifth Sunday. And uh, so let's just uh, look at chapter one. So chapter one, we see... um, something very powerful. Because in year 2020, we have said here at Elevation Community Church that we believe that God is waking up the church. God is waking up the church to do something that is supernatural. And what is that? It's operating within the kingdom of God. Do you realize that there is a kingdom that is beyond this earth? It's called the kingdom of God. It is The kingdom of God means it's the rule and the reign of God. Could you say the rule and reign of God? Say it with me. The rule and the reign of God. That's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is here, thanks be to Jesus and what he did. He came to bring the king, kingdom. And now because of his death and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven... He sent his Holy Spirit down to reign in us to actually bring the kingdom of God in you and me. That is like staggering. That is mind-blowing. That is mic drop worthy, okay? It lives in you and me. The issue, the issue for the church of Christ, all churches, all denominations, is the kingdom lives in you, but are you seeing through the eyes and through the lens of the kingdom? Because if you're not seeing the things of the kingdom, you're not going to be able to operate and respond to the things of the kingdom. Then when it's also about you can see the things of the kingdom, but can you hear the kingdom of God? Can you hear the voice of God? I'm not just talking about an audible voice that comes down and and sounds like this deep bass voice. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirits. Can you hear the voice of God? And then the third thing that we're focusing on is, are we representing, if we truly say that we are a Christian, and by the way, when you say you're a Christian, do you know what you're saying? Now preach. Do you know what you're saying when I'm a Christian? Many Christians think that they belong to a church, which isn't wrong, but it's not all just about being a part of a church. Okay. Some of you say, well, I'm, I serve at church. Well, that's awesome. And that is actually a commandment that Jesus tells us that if we want to be the greatest of all, we need to be the servant of all. But that still doesn't mean that you're technically a Christian in biblical terms. Christian means is someone who believes that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, is the Savior of the world. Okay? So number one, they believe it. 
Number two, they have received his death and his resurrection. They've received forgiveness of their sins, knowing that they are separated, separated from a most holy, perfect God because of sin. They cannot get to God by their good works, their good looks, which is really good for some of you. And they can't get to heaven with being a good person. Someone say, wow. <laughs> That's probably not you then. Yeah, so they can only get there through the sacrificial blood of a sacrificial, holy, spotless, blameless lamb, and his name is Jesus. And so you have to believe it, but you also have to receive it. And when we receive Christ's forgiveness, we're also receiving him as Lord in our lives. We're opening our hands, as James, uh, as James 2 says, and James 4 says that we're going to open our hands and release and let things go in order to receive what God has for us. When we receive his life, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, enters the soul, the spirit of every man and, believe, and, man and woman who believes, who calls upon the name of the Lord, confesses their sin, and receives Christ. That's a Christian, but I would add one more marker there. So believes, receives, and follows. You can believe and receive and still stay stagnant where you are. But if you are following the move of God, you are no longer stagnant. When you are following Christ and Christ is all and in all of your life, you will be moving and growing at a supernatural pace that is developed and orchestrated by the beat of the kingdom of God. So chapter one, we see a shift of perspective. This James hits it right out of the gate and says, if you want to be followers of Jesus and you want to advance the kingdom of God, which is the call of the church, you need to shift your perspective. And now we know the kingdom of God is completely opposite of the kingdom of this world. They don't operate the same. They operate very differently. And that's why we're going to look at later today. That's why we have to choose what patterns we're going to live our life by. Are we going to live by the patterns of the kingdom of God, which are at war with the kingdom of the world? Or are we going to conform to the patterns of this world and not the kingdom of God? So we need to shift our perspective. And one of the big things that we need to shift our perspective towards is suffering and trials. Jesus said, hey, I have encouraging news. Before I leave, this will encourage your soul. You will have many trials and tribulations and suffering. But he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Meaning, I have overcome anything that you're ever going to face. And But through my power and through my resurrection, you can overcome everything Amen. and anything through the power of God with you. So we need to shift our perspective. So what happens when believers, Christians, start to shift the perspective and actually see that trials and tribulations, hear me, are a blessing? What would happen if we started to see the things and the circumstances that don't feel good, that don't look good, but we start to anticipate God's good through them. That's a whole shift of perspective that requires no human strength. It requires supernatural strength. It's joy. It's the state of mind of being in God's hands and knowing he is fully in control. And whatever you're facing, sickness, conflict, depression, anxiety, loss, you fill in the blank. That even though it's not from God's hand, because he, he can't act outside of his nature, y'all, he he, sickness doesn't come from him. Depression doesn't come from the Father. Anxiety does not come from the Father. Wars do not come from the Father. Hate does not come from the Father. Murder does not come from the Father. But he allows it because it's a fallen, broken world. And right now, the devil, Satan himself, is ruling and reigning in the kingdom of earth. Ruling and reigning. 
ruling and reigning. But not for long. He knows his time is short, and he knows ever since Jesus shed his blood on the cross that he has been defeated. But he's still ruling and reigning. And so we're going to have sickness. We're going to have suffering. We're going to have trials. We're going to have relational strife, which I'm so excited about next week's sermon series called Toxic Unresolved Conflict. Everyone has conflict in their lives. I really encourage you, if there's a series to attend this year, it's this one. But we need to shift our perspective and start to find joy. I'm not talking about happiness because some things really stink. Some things are really, really, really incredibly anguishing, difficult. So it doesn't mean you're supposed to be happy and then beat yourself up if you're not. It's a joy, it's a state, it's a, it, it, it's a calm and a peace, a calm assurance that you know that he is in control. So chapter two, we look at, after shifting our perspective, we look at how faith has to come alive. You can say you're a Christian, but your faith is dead. Your faith is dead because it's not activated. It's not activated. You know, when we make a decision, this, this is really important, and this is in James 2, like I said. When he's talking about faith and works being combined, what he's saying in works is not necessarily good works. He's talking about a response and a decision to the gospel message of Jesus. So when he says, be saved by faith, but not faith alone, but by good works. He is talking about our response to Jesus. Are we offering our lives to him? Are we giving him control? And are we letting him in? That's what James is talking about. God's grace. We need to respond to that. We receive it, we offer our lives, and we invite him in. Chapter 3. Now that we've done that and we've shifted our perspective and we've given Christ control and an invitation to come in, now we can talk about the nuts and bolts of the Christian faith, of how we represent the kingdom of God. The most powerful instrument in our body is our tongue, spiritually, is our tongue. James and all the New Testament writers and Jesus himself guard against the tongue, the mouth. even says, slow to speak, quick to listen. We have to guard against our mouth, and we're going to talk about it in the toxic series, how gossip and rumors are infectious and destructive to relationships and to the bride of Christ, which is the church body. We have to really learn, if we're shifting our perspective and we're really receiving what God has for us, we need to be sensitive to speaking truth while showing love. You have to have both. So we shift our perspective. We allow faith to become active in our lives. We really are aware of our words and our speech. Chapter four, we address the problem of quarrels and fighting. Isn't it amazing that right before that chapter, he's talking about your tongue. He's talking about your speech. And then he says, what causes quarrel and quarrels and fights among you? Uh, hello, the tongue, but what causes the tongue to do what it's doing? It's the pleasures and the passions that rage war within us. We don't have and we don't ask God. And if we ask God, we're asking God with the wrong motives. And so we go and do it ourselves. And that usually sacrifices the people in your lives and around you. And the people who are on the outskirts looking into the church, wanting to see something different. And they don't. And so he tells us, he offers us a solution to humble ourselves, to get over ourselves, because there's a God and you're not him. To resist the devil means stop, turn, and draw near to God. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, 
receive forgiveness, and allow the mercy of God to lift you back up. His mercies are new every morning. If you're stuck right now and you have messed it up, you've blown it and you know it. The people around you won't let you forget it. Know that his grace and his mercies are awaiting you. And he wants to fill you. He wants to overwhelm you with his love. And he wants to brush you off and lift you up and say, keep going. So chapter 5 then concludes the book with, a, um, with warning, uh, warning us against false teaching, warning us against finding our identity, our contentment, and our pleasure in wealth. Is that a problem today? I think so, isn't it? Look, look around us, just, just look around us. Politically, relationally, business-wise, economy, it is all about the dollar bill. That's what people crave, that's what people run towards, and that's where people find their identity. And Jesus says, you can only serve one. And so James warns us at the end of the book, the, one of the last things he says is guard against finding your identity, your contentment, and your pleasure in money and material wealth that is going to fade with you. Have you ever been to a funeral? Do you think that they were stuffing all their materials and all their savings in that casket and lowering it down? No, you can't take it with you. That's why Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. And so today, I want us to do actually something different. After summing up the book of James, let's just, let's just blitz through it again. Chapter 1 is all about perspective, shifting our perspective to see through the eyes of the kingdom. Chapter 2 is all about uh, activating our faith, our faith becoming alive. How? We make a decision to respond to the gospel to Jesus. We make a decision to respond to Jesus by giving him our lives and letting him in. Chapter three is our tongue, being aware of how our speech is taking root around us. Chapter four is addressing the problem of quarrels and fighting and gives us the solution. And then chapter five is all about warning against our identity, our contentment and pleasure being grounded in wealth. So today, I'd like to do something very different to give us just a different angle, a different perspective of the book of James. And what's amazing about this is it, if we look close enough, it actually reflects the teachings of someone that the New Testament is all about. Now, you know that James, maybe you don't, but James is the younger half-brother of Jesus. And any of you who have siblings knows that when the older sibling has sports, concerts, ceremonies, Pinewood Derby, cheerleading, guess who comes with mom and dad? All the younger siblings, whether they like it or not. And they learn to sit there, whatever they need to do. They don't want to be there necessarily, but they're dragged there. And I believe, this is Phil's commentary, I believe that James was dragged by his mother Mary everywhere Jesus went. And James was probably twiddling his thumbs and playing sticks and not really listening because this guy really was claiming that he was the Messiah. And it was his flesh and blood, you know, and so he couldn't understand it. But I believe that what he observed, he began to soak in. And then after the resurrection and seeing the Messiah himself and having a life change, I believe that everything the past three years or even longer since he lived the life of Jesus before those 30 years, I believe they all started to come in full view of what Jesus was all about and what he was bringing. And so I want to parallel the book of James 
with the most famous sermon of James' half-brother, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, called the Sermon on the Mount. Ever heard of it? Well, if you follow it, which we're going to in a minute, you're going to see that James is identical to the Sermon on the Mount. He says it a little bit differently, but all of the key points in the Sermon on the Mount, the message of Jesus, is hidden in James. And so my prayer for you is as we do this, that you would take ownership of your heart and you would begin to seek the scriptures and you would begin to open your heart and your eyes to what God wants to do in your heart this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we just give you control. Open our hearts that it would just not be information. That by lunch we have regurgitated it and it has dissipated from our minds. Father, would you instill, would you download your message for each of us this morning into our hearts? And we acknowledge, I acknowledge that I am fallen man. I am broken, I'm saved by grace, but I pray that you would speak through fallen man, you would speak and have your way, and may your word come alive in our hearts today, through faith in Jesus, we say together, amen. So the first thread that we see in James, and then we're going to see in Jesus' message is this. Rejoice and be glad in your trials. We just talked about that, shifting our perspective. So James 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Your faith grows through trials. That's why you can have joy. What does Jesus say? Jesus says this in uh, uh, Matthew 5, chapter 5. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted, suffering, struggling, challenged for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's that term that Jesus brings. The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of this world. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, are, are, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, find joy, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. James talks about being holy, being perfect and complete. Do you know that you need to be perfect and holy in order to be in the presence of God? Do you know that? Do you realize that? You have to be perfect. There's a problem. You're not. I'm not. We fall short of the perfection and the holiness of God every time until the blood of Jesus covers our hearts and our spirits. That's the only way in which we can be holy and perfect is when Christ lives within us, the hope of glory. When God sees us, he sees us perfected in Christ, holy and righteous in his sight. Have you ever looked in the mirror and seen yourself that way? Because God, your father does. (laughs) James 1.4 says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus says, you therefore, everyone who's listening to me and reads my words must be, say that word, perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. So there is a high demand, a high standard that we will never be able to fulfill, but Christ himself through his sacrificial death and his resurrection has paid for for all of eternity. That is good news. Now we see Jesus and James kind of take another shift, and it says, ask your good and wise God 
who loves to give good things to his children. Ask your good and wise God. Is it up there? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The Father has all good gifts to give to his children, and he desires and longs to bless his children. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Are you asking? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, what? And the one who seeks, thank you. And to the one who knocks, it will be, do you believe that? Or which one of you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? The good things, here's a disclaimer, are not the things of this world that God wants to bless. The good things that the Father wants to bless you with is the things of heaven, the things of the kingdom. Does that include material wealth and resources? Absolutely. Absolutely. God wants to bless you. He wants you to thrive. And he wants you to have a driven life that everyone looks to and say, wow, that person's blessed. Because then it draws their eyes back to Christ. Ask, and you shall receive. So ask your good and faithful and wise God who wants to give you good gifts. But now he's saying, now I want to even go deeper in asking and receiving. What does that look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. James 4 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You lust or covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I hope that some of this is resonating with you since we have been going through each chapter of James. The whole point is to bring these verses back to life in alignment to Jesus and what he's saying. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What does Jesus say about this? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Same thing, just different verses in Matthew 7. Why is Jesus reiterating it? Because his children are sheep. You know what sheep are labeled? Stupid. They know one thing, they're after one thing one day, and they're after the other the next. They have no idea what they need, when they need it. They just run around, get their heads stuck in a fence. Fight, bite, and kick. Sounds like the church, doesn't it? He's reiterating it because he's saying, God wants you to ask him. God wants you to seek the things of the kingdom. That's what it was designed for. But you've got to want it. Do you want it? Because if you want it, and you've really understood the value of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells a story about a man who finds rich treasures. So rich that he could hardly believe it. And what does he do? He digs a hole, hides it so no one sees it. They didn't have a bank in those days, so they dig a hole and hide it. And what does he do? He sells everything, gets rid of everything just to have that treasure. Isn't that amazing? That's the value of the kingdom of God. And when you see the kingdom of God for what it is, and you see Jesus in all of his glory, and you understand the power that saved you and cleansed you from your sins and pulled you out of the depths, you will start to understand 
you will start to understand the power that God has for you. And once you understand the value, you will seek it out with everything. But what do we do in this, this world, this culture? We seek possessions. We find comfort in possessions, right? And wealth and security and everything else. We are so blessed in this country. We have no stinking idea. But here's the problem, if I can go here. Yes, they're blessings, but with every blessing, material blessing that we have in this country comes a hurdle of a curse, and it's called idolatry. A blessing so often can lead right to idolatry if we let it. Are you allowing the blessing of God to do what it's designed to do? Are you thanking him? Are you becoming humble? And are you becoming joyful for all that God has given you and not stopping there? Everything that God gives you is always used to bless others. That's why we give. That is why we give. Yes, we have expenses. Yes, we have budgets. Yes, we have salaries for staff to take care of the church operations and functions and ministry. But we give because we're giving to the kingdom of God. We're giving cheerfully and faithfully and joyfully because we look at all that he has given us. How can we not bless others? Right? That's why Jesus said it's a blessing to give. It's a blessing to give. People who understand and operate within the kingdom of God are generous, faithful Givers, because they realize how much has been given to them. Are you generous in your giving? Are you faithful and committed to your giving? I'm not looking, I'm not judging. But your father knows that the heart of a generous giver is one who has fully surrendered their life to Christ. Off track, let me back up. Now, the word of God in James and Jesus, let's see if it lines up, says this, be doers, not just hearers of the word. For those of you who are following along, we're looking at James 1, verse 2. James 1, verse 22, I lied, 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So hear the voice of God, hear the word of God. That's why I think it's really powerful to read the word out loud. To hear it, but do what it says. I believe that one of the two components, the most important components of faith that James talks about is worship being a living sacrifice, worshiping God, offering your lives to him, and two, obedience. If you're not obedient, what are you doing worshiping? I would even ask, what are you giving in worship if you're not obedient? <laughs> right? Worship costs you something. So we need to be doers. James says, if, if, if you hear the word of God and yet you don't do it, you're like looking in the mirror, walking away, and minutes, if not seconds, you forget what you look like. Let me ask you this. In order to be hearers of the word, you need to be in the word. And I tell you what, in 2020, here in America, we are so blessed. We have podcast upon podcast. You can get the sermons here at Elevation in so many churches on internet, on the podcast app, on phone apps, on YouTube. It's all over. We do not have an excuse for not having abundance of godly Christian kingdom of God resources. Are you in it? I'm not bashing anything of the political movement, but are you listening more to political radio than you are the word of God? Alignment. Alignment. Because I tell you, when you are focused in the word of God and you are being consumed, someone just talked to me in the lobby and said, you know what? I have a really, really long drive to work now, 
And I've just been listening to your messages and listening to messages and messages. And guess what? My life is changing. Yeah. Not because you're listening to my messages, but because you're listening to the word of God. It changes things. First, starting with you, and then it changes everything around you when you speak the word of God into existence. Amen, Sherry? Yeah. Jesus said this about being doers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall. Why? Would you read that line? Because it had been. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a fool. A fool who built his house on the sand. The rock is immovable. The rock is the strongest kind of foundation you can have. Sand, have you ever played with sand castles with your kids? Yeah. Runs through your fingers. It's shifting. It scatters. And it crumbles under pressure and underwater. And he says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and it was the, and great was the fall of it. So Jesus and James are in perfect alignment here when they said, it's one thing to say you're a Christian, it's another to actually walk the life of a Christian, which is obedience. Where's obedience in your life? The mindset of those who are in the kingdom, let's look at that, that's another theme in James and and Jesus' message. Listen, my beloved, James 2 verse 5 Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's our mindset. It's not saying, oh, woe is me, and I'm weak, and I'm a poor vessel. It's the humility, the mindset of the wretchedness of our own self without the grace of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the the earth. Jesus talks all about being peacemakers, and James is all about making peace. What does James 4 say that we read last week? You adulterous people, meaning you're cheating on God. You're having an affair on God with the world. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means opposition or hostility. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does Jesus say? Is James right? Well, let's look at Jesus. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What he's saying is you cannot serve God and the things of this world. He says this, be slow to judge. I'm skipping one, Dustin. Be slow to judge. He says this, do not speak evil. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Thank you. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to judge sin. Does the Bible say that, really? And if it says that, where's the context in that? Okay? Because I know that it gets skewed and there's some scriptures that support that platform, but let's sit down for coffee and talk. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who, it's not you, it's not me, he who is able to save and to destroy. Leave the judgment up to him. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, that's James. So let's see if Jesus concurs. He says this. Judge not, 
Jesus said it. Judge not lest you be judged. For with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So when you judge someone else, guess what the Father's judging you as? Through that lens. Do you think judgment causes toxic, unresolved conflict? Yeah, there's a series coming up next Sunday. Yeah, just want to let you know. <laughs> Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You, what's that word? Hypocrite? Oh, that can't be right. Come on, that can't be right. You hypocrite? Yeah. It says, first take the log out of yours, then gently go to the brother and let them know that they have a speck in theirs. Take care of yours first before you judge, judge someone else. Whew. Two more. Isn't this good? This is so good. I think so often we read the New Testament and we don't go back to what Jesus said because Jesus is the author, the finisher of our faith. He is the one it's all about, and everything resolves and revolves around him. That would really save us from a lot of false teaching and misunderstanding of the scripture, by the way. God's provision, God's provision for tomorrow says, come now you who say in James chapter for today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town town excuse me and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life here's a sobering truth for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes turn to your neighbor and say you're a vapor <laughs> and now blow them away no i'm kidding yeah. You know what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6? He says, therefore, do not worry. Do not anxious. Be anxious. What's one of our biggest epidemics in our American culture? Anxiety and depression. He says, do not be anxious for the things of tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. He's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Allow me to provide you what you need for today. And tomorrow will take care of itself. And lastly, in tandem with what Jesus is saying about not worrying about the things of today or the things of tomorrow and those to come is our earthly treasures. Because that's really what we're worried about. In the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus' day, that's exactly what they were worried about, and he knew it, and that's why he addressed it. He says this in James chapter 5, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Keep reading on for some enjoyment and entertainment there of what God has to say about your wealth. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. You see parallel? <laughs> you think he was listening to Jesus? Yeah, I think so. And where thieves break in and steal, do not lay for yourself treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. So let me ask you as we close here, let me ask you, what can we learn from the full book of James and this message that we just tapped the surface of that Jesus gave for us today? What can we learn from it? Well, I'd like to implore five application steps for all of us. If you're a writer or a note taker, please take notes on this. Many of you grab your phones and take a picture of this. Because I think that if we start to really, really hone in on what James is calling us to do and to apply to our lives, that our lives will look different and we will begin to produce more and more spiritual fruit. So I'd like to look at our application slides. So the first step is this. Where is your perspective 
when it comes to trials, heartache, and suffering. Many of you are going through it right now. You're facing circumstances weighing heavy on you. Where's your perspective? And may it need to change after hearing the message today. Number two, where is your faith in Jesus? This is the faith that James is talking about in chapter two. Where it's not just by grace alone, but something has to happen within you, in your response and decision to follow Jesus. And I know we're fading here. I I, I can see some of us disconnecting, but honestly, this is the most important thing that I want to leave you with, are these five steps. Where is your faith in Jesus? What I mean is, do you really believe it? Have you confessed it, that Jesus is Lord? Have you confessed your sins before a God who already knows them? Have you asked for his forgiveness and have you received his life and his spirit in your life? If you haven't, you can do that today by just talking to him and saying, God, save me. However words come out, doesn't have to be a specific prayer. It's God, save me, I'm lost. Forgive me of my sin. And come and take over in my life. I don't know what that looks like, but I need you. Where's your faith? Number three, where can you grow in speaking truth and showing love? Band, you can come up. Where can you grow in speaking truth and showing love? We're going to talk about that the next couple of weeks. Three to be exact. No, four to be exact. Where can you grow in speaking truth and showing love? Four, is there relational strife in your life that needs mended? Is there bitterness that is robbing you of peace? Is there unforgiveness that is robbing you of joy? Thankfulness. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, buried in unforgiveness and hurt and anxiety and worry. Come to me and you will find rest. I will give you rest. Many of you need rest. I'm not just talking physical rest. You need rest from the unforgiveness and the weight, relational strife in your life. God never intended for you to carry that. Never intended for you to carry that. And number five, what do you need to pray about or be prayed for? Because James, we're not going to read it, but James at the end of five. Actually, can you put that up, Dustin? Is anyone among you suffering? I think we are. Many are. What does it say? Let him pray. (laughs) Let him ask the Father. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is any among you sick? Well, let him go to the elders of the church and let them pray over him and her. There's nothing special about the elders of the church. They're just overseers. They're usually the ones that are uh, a little deeper and mature in their faith and they're shepherding and teaching others. They're modeling what it looks like. And in their day, in James' day, they didn't have a lot of doctors, but they had a lot of elders in the church that could pray for people and they would place oil, which meant two things, medicinal purposes. In James, he's talking about medicinal purposes, but anyone who is a Jew that has been converted in Christ knows that as they put the oil over them and pray over them, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming and taking control. So are you suffering? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, worship. Pray for others who aren't. And are you sick? God wants you to be prayed for. And so as we enter a time of worship, I want to encourage you, if you need to, can you put those five things on for a minute? 
if you just need to sit where you are and just kind of reflect and take inventory, I want you to do that. If you want to come up and not be bothered in the front here and just bow your heart before the Lord, would you do that? I'm just going to ask a few of our prayer people to just be in the corner over here and the corner over here. They're not going to maul you. They're not going to hover. But if you would like someone to pray for you, I'd like to go over here and here. Then our elders of the church, I would like our elders for the church and their wives after this service to come forward. Actually, you know, you know what? No. If you're an elder and you're here or you're a ministry leader and you're here, I would like for you just to come up to the front and make yourself available for anyone who wants prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, don't let the distractions take root this morning. Distractions are so real. They're so heavy. All we want is you. We thirst for you, God. Our soul thirsts, thirsts for you. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to people all over the place. May we do business, Father, with you this morning. And we expect and anticipate you to work. For you are our way. You are our healer. You're the promise keeper. And you love your children. So, Father, have your way as we worship you and encounter you this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.